two weeks back, two Mondays ago, we looked at uh, how to glorify God in our business successes. Uh, That was APJ 1915. Now, two weeks later, we are talking about business again, and more broadly, it's a question from a listener named Travis. Um, Pastor John, hello to you. Can you tell me whether our work today is a blessing or a curse? Much of our work seems to be cursed based on Genesis 3, but a lot of our work also seems to be a God-given blessing according to Ecclesiastes. So according to the Bible, is my 9-to-5 job a blessing or is it a curse? Let's start with the first work mentioned in the Bible, namely God's work. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You can't, you can't miss the point. God worked, God worked, God worked. Now, work was not a curse for God. God is not cursed. He's not burdened. He's not frustrated. He's not coerced to do what he does not wish to do. He worked in creation because It was a sign of his greatness and his fullness that he should overflow in creating a world that declares his glory and a human image of himself that can enjoy and worship that glory. That's no sign of weakness or burdensomeness or frustration. That's glory. Work was glory for God. So, from the beginning, work was not a curse. It was a godlike gift a blessing. The essence of work, as God designed it before the fall into sin, was creativity, creative, productive doing, arranging, making. When God uh, did his primal work, he created the world. Now, that's the essence of work. Then he created us in his image to put us in a world that he had made, and he said, chapter 1, verse 26, Genesis, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them fill the earth and subdue it. Then, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, he said, or it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Literally, the word is serve, serve it, almost like a serving in the work of the Lord, to serve it, to work it and keep it. Now, I presume this working and keeping of the Garden before the fall was a partial fulfillment of having dominion over the earth and subduing it. Now, what does that imply then? It it does not mean that the garden was imperfect as God made it. It wasn't imperfect. It, It didn't need correction. As if God had made a mistake, oops, it didn't fix the garden right. It needs help. 
It means God made the garden for man, and part of its perfection was in providing for the man the raw material for being creative like God. Man would flourish in working the garden. The garden would flourish in being worked. It would be beautifully satisfying, not frustrating, not burdensome, not futile. That's work before the fall. Thrilling, satisfying, creative. Now, what the fall did, that's chapter 3 of Genesis, what, the fall, what sin did when it came into the world was to make this glorious reality of satisfying work become futile, burdensome, frustrating. Genesis 3, verse 17 to 19, in pain. Adam, in pain you shall eat of the earth all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So it's not accurate to say that work is a curse. What's accurate is to say that the futility and frustration and burdensomeness and painfulness of work is a curse. Paul said in Romans 8.20, the creation was subjected to futility. When sin came into the world, God subjected creation to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to futility. The futility and burdensomeness of work, therefore, is part of the curse of creation. And it won't always be this way. He said, there's a hope coming. And God put the world under this curse temporarily to show the exceeding sinfulness of sin. But Christ has come to redeem the world from the curse, and that happens in stages, not all at once. This is true for work as well. It is really significant when you think about it that the gospel, good news of Jesus' salvation, the gospel does not stipulate that work is how you earn it. You can't earn it. It's free. Work is not assigned that impossible, hopeless, burdensome role in salvation. This is really good news. Listen to the three things said about work in our salvation, according to Ephesians 2 8 to 10. Three things. By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, number one, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his, number two, workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, number three, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is glorious. First, work does not bear the weight of having to save us. Christ saves us. Hmm. He does it by faith. Second, God steps in and does the work. He makes us new, and he does everything required 
to make us new creatures in Christ. We are his workmanship. And number three, now that we are loved and forgiven and accepted and adopted, we are created for good works. So, we were created the first time that is brought into being as human people. We were created the first time for good work way back in the beginning. That was our original intent as human beings. And we are recreated in Christ for good work. And this work in Christ is not burdensome. If we find it burdensome, if you find obedience to Jesus and work for Christ to be burdensome, then you're not thinking clearly, or you're not trusting Christ the way you should. Listen to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. This is this is the paradox of the work that Christ calls us to do. On the one hand, we we're like hardworking yoked oxen, and on the other hand. Our work is lighter than a feather. Here's what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Whoa, wait a minute. You just said rest. (laughs) What's with the yoke? Yoke is what you put on oxen to pull a plow, and it's hard. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So, yes, there is meaningful work to do as we follow Christ. That's the meaning of yoke. We have a yoke to wear. We're not not thrown out to be doers of nothing. How boring would that be? But in that work, that yoke, there is a restfulness of spirit that is free from the curse. The key in all our work, the key that turns it from curse to blessing, and the key that glorifies Christ in it, is described in 1 Peter 4.11. Let the one who serves, just say, let the one who works, work in the strength that God supplies so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. The one who gives the strength gets the glory. We get the help, he gets the glory, and work is delivered from its burdensome cursedness. Or here it is again in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, any of the other apostles though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's the glory of hard work in the Christian life, just like it was before the, the, the fall. But I, I don't doubt that Adam uh, gloried in a, a long day's work in the garden, hmm. making it perfectly suitable to hmm. his needs, flourishing in all his efforts. Not I, but the grace of God with me, that takes away the misery of burdensomeness and futility. So, when Paul calls us to do lots of work as Christians, 
He's not calling us to a burdened, frustrated, cursed life. He's calling us to our glory and our joy. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I think that means doing lots of it. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not futile. And I think that applies to any work done in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, in reliance upon the power of Jesus, not just church work, all work. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 3.23, whatever, that's an important word, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So that elevates all of our work, not just church work, but all of our work to the level of worship. Hmm. If, if we do it in the name of the Lord, in reliance on the Lord, for the glory of the Lord, it's not mere human work. It's divine work. It honors Christ. So, I'll say it again. From the beginning, we were made for work, shaping, creating, subduing the world according to the wisdom and goodness and beauty of God. This was not, it is not, a curse. It is a blessing, and I think it will last happily forever. Yeah, an important concluding word there, hinting about work in the new creation. Thank you, Pastor John. And thank you for joining us today. Ask a question of your own, search our growing archive, or subscribe to the podcast, all at askpastorjohn.com. Speaking of our work, God's plan for the globe and God's plan for your life are all one unified plan. And we will look at that plan more closely on Wednesday in our place in it. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. We'll see you then.